Hi, and welcome to Going Off Track. Hi. I'm Brad. Hey, Brad. You look great. Thank you. I feel really tired. I just came from hot yoga, and then I got to run this whole studio, then I have kids and family. <laughs> How do I do it all? Uh, did you try drugs? Yes. How's that working for you? It's working pretty good. Speaking of which... Uh, <laughs> Speaking of drugs... Uh, <laughs> Fat Mike has been going through rehab. Oh, have you been seeing that. this? He's been posting this on Instagram. Uh, we had we had a little talk about it, and uh, yeah, I'm pretty. Happy. It seems like he's doing good. He's on day six, I think. Really? Yeah, he's been surfing, going to AA meetings. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that sound that you heard L- was was Brad was Brad, <laughs> was Brad thinking about God? <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> but anyways, uh, ironic that you mentioned. <clears throat> Drugs and Fat Mike <laughs> together in the same together, sentence. but also because today in the podcast we have a member of No Effects on who isn't Fat Mike. Yes, uh, Eric Melvin. Eric Melvin came by today, not today, but recording the intro today. Eric Melvin came by when the band were in town uh, promoting their book, The Hepatitis Bathtub, which is amazing. Um, I've been reading it, and uh, they did a signing at Barnes and Noble, and then. They played a show at Irving that was not, no Q&A moderated by me and Steven this time. <laughs> they just got up there and played uh, an amazing set. Mephiscopheles and Directed opened. Um, I got super drunk with them. And uh, yeah, they played a great show. But early in the day, Eric came in to talk about this book. Yeah, and, and I sadly was not here. Brad I'm wasn't here. It's very interesting though, because uh, the cool thing about the book is the guys learned so much about each other. So many of the stories and like different perspectives, like so much of it, they've been a band for like 30 years, but didn't know certain things until it came out. And one of the things that came out was that Eric got molested by a neighbor when he was really young. And it sort of really changed things. And it was something it took him a long time to come to terms with. And he came to terms with it, put it in the book. And now he's sort of like helping people. And that's sort of a lot of what we talked about was sort of, it's kind of serious. It's kind of, um, but really kind of inspiring. Like, it seems like Eric's really kind of embraced this role and just wants to help people in his situation. So, yeah. It was um, it was really cool. I'm really happy we got to do it. Yeah. I'm sorry I was in Brazil on the beach. Yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of ha- trying to help kids from being molested, but I'm sure you were having a lot of fun on the beach, Brad. So, <laughs> getting tons of karma out there. Yeah, it was okay. I'll take it. Yeah. Take um, the trade off. Take it. But yeah, and also, side note, uh, if you follow Eric on Instagram, he's uh, been um, doing audio tracks for the audiobook of the Hepatitis Bathtub, which should be amazing if they have the members reading each other. And they also posted <laughs> that they got Tommy Chong from Cheech and Chong to read but... think their old guitar player's role. Yeah. <sighs> this may be my first audiobook, it, it sounds like. It sounds like it's probably, <laughs> even if you read the book, it sounds like it's probably worth it to also buy the audiobook. <laughs> I don't know how they can... I mean, it takes a long time to do an audiobook, doesn't it? Like, it's, I don't know how they can tie those guys down, man. Yeah, I think they're all, I mean, it seems like they're all very invested in this project. Maybe this is p- part of Mike's um, rehab. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, so the audiobook, I don't know when that's coming out, but it should be. In 10 years. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, thanks so much to Eric. You know, these guys are only in town for one day. They were doing a lot of stuff, so it was very nice. For Eric and his girlfriend to come by. Very gracious. She also sat in the podcast and also sat in was 
Benny Hoare writes from the Gaslight Anthem. Yeah, Benny. Our uh, frequent guest host and uh, just a sweet, sweet guy just like Eric. Just take Benny if you can't get me, man. Yeah. Just accept him. Yeah. He's yeah. funnier than me He's, anyway. You guys are b- both just different. <laughs> I like it when it's all of us, honestly. Yeah, that's And good. Steven. I, like, I just wish everyone could do it all the time, but... Everything all the time. Everything all the time. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. thanks to Eric for coming by. Check out the Hepatitis Bathtub. Check out... I don't need to tell you about NoFX's records, you know. You, you know, whatever. What's your favorite NoFX record, Brad? Uh, Not to put you on the spot. I would say The Decline as like my favorite. That's an EP. Technically my favorite full length. Uh... I guess not a very original answer, but I'm going to go with Punk and Draw Book. That record to me still sounds pretty much perfect. Yeah, I don't know their whole catalog, but I definitely know that record. White Trash is great. There's some. Awesome. I feel like So Long and Thanks for All Issues and Heavy Petting Zoo, very underrated. Um, some of the newer records have some really good songs on them. Uh, SNM Airlines and all that stuff is great. It's all great, but for me, it's like, yeah, you open with Linoleum, it's like, Come on. <laughs> like, that's just pretty much just perfect. A perfect record. Perfect government is on there. It's perfect punk rock, man. Yeah. It's, uh, that record is, is I mean, it's one of the best punk records ever. I don't think it's really, it's even defining, argu- arguable. At it's this a point. defining punk rock record. It's a defining punk rock record. So, um, enough of us talking about how great Eric and NoFX are. Why don't you just listen yourself? Uh, so here's Going Off Track with Eric Melvin. Enjoy. It's going off track. I talk quietly too. You're doing fine. Your levels are great. <laughs> oh no, Jonah, where's my cheat sheet? I like Do your you levels too, Jonah. Um, we we've met met yeah. each other through the but network. We've, I've like friends. I've actually like hung out on your bus and smoked pot a bunch of times, but never specifically with you. Yeah, I'm always hanging out with your crew. Yeah, who are I kind of like, gave up smoking pot a super while cool ago. Dudes. Yeah. What? Actually, I just moved into edibles recently. You did. Yes, I recently got my uh, medicinal use license in California. Actually, Sarah and I both got ours. May I ask uh, what your condition was that you were you got it? Um, I went through a divorce last year. Well, I finalized the divorce last year. I went through it like two years ago. Uh, and man, still so much stress, I'm sure. so much anxiety. I mean, so you can use anxiety as something to get that. Yeah. And then I just kind of threw in having trouble sleeping. Sure. A little <laughs> just, touch of insomnia. You know, like, yeah. Once in a while I have trouble sleeping, you know, like right. it's like, sure, doesn't everybody. But, uh, the doctor said, yeah. And I told him straight out, I mean, I don't know if it mattered to him really that, uh, I actually don't like being stoned. I'm not really like a stoner. That's kind of why I quit smoking pot in my 20s. Um, but I like the like uh, anti-inflammatory uh, aspect of it and just the calming, if you can get that calming part of it, mm-hmm. which I th- my understanding is you get more from edibles, more like a body sedation. Yeah. And that's what I got. And 100%. So got like lozenges that are like... Ten- tenth of a percent or something thc but three or not percent milligrams or something it's all milligrams then uh, three milligrams cbd 
Oh, that's the non. That's, oh, yeah. that's the anti-inflammatory that's part of it that yeah. doesn't get you high, right? Yeah. The CBDs or whatever. Yeah, CBD, which yeah. I don't know what that stands for. I don't it's even cannabinoids, I believe. Oh, yeah, Vanny. Um, nice. Yeah, I've been. Uh, there's a new show on the Viceland channel Weed-a-kit. called Weedakit. I've learned oh, so much yeah, about because from New Jersey, like what you're saying to me is like paradise. First off, I mean, well, Denver is paradise right now. But what you're saying, the fact that I've been I've been treated like with Ambien, so there's I could get this prescription in no time at all. It sounds like, mm. and the idea oh. that I could walk into a store, not only legally purchase edibles, but purchase them to the point where I can ask for a very specific type of chemical combination, mm. specifically tailored to my needs. I mean, it, fuck, that's awesome. It's amazing. Yeah, it's still. So cool. We can really get the use out of marijuana. Yeah, and then and then you can was, really like and you're and and it's cool talking to someone who's not like being like oh I got this because I'm just like secretly legally getting high now. Like right, this yeah. is someone who's actually using it for medicine. Yeah, what which made is cool. you stop? Because I remember last time I was here, I was talking to Mike, and somehow weed came up, and he was like, "You can't do that stuff." He's like, "Because I was like, how do you stay so productive? How do you get stuff done?" And I feel like some people it really helps them, mm. and some people yeah. are just like, "I just want to like watch movies all day." Yeah, which I feel like is kind of where I go sometimes. Yeah, if it's too head trippy for me, then for sure, or I'll I'll start playing guitar with like a drum track or something on my laptop and it'll be it'll just morph into something completely just wacky and yeah. weird <laughs> that i've listened to on a loop for an hour you know it's like this is uh, when you know but like when listen you're... to it listen to it a week later i'm like what what the hell is that? that but at the moment i was so into totally it, always which, you know that's kind of a meditative kind of state that's works i guess in a way too yeah i guess to get outside your comfort zone i mean when you're writing a song now like i don't know how many songs does no effects have like 500 Jeez, yeah, who awesome. knows i mean are you ever like is it hard to find like a new chord progression that you guys haven't used like so many times like kind of i mean or like a new i guess not there's so much i keep i keep trying to expand my own guitar playing and i keep stumbling onto new things um but I do notice that Mike favors a lot of similar chord progressions. Yeah. And then he has ways of, I don't know, jazzing it up or throwing in octaves on top that make it sound different. But when we just recorded recently, by the way, uh, we started in September on a new record, September, October, and kind of demoed it, sat on it, started back in the studio in January. It's been going really well. But back in September when he showed us these songs um i was like like three of them were almost the same exact chord progression three different songs they'd written and i was kind of like this is a different song this is supposed to be different <laughs> and you know you listen to them now and they are absolutely right, completely right. different there's rhythmic parts to the guitar or it, it's fast mid-tempo totally different but he likes that's his ear and that's his he hears melodies in there yeah, and that's he was what saying works something else. Like he, there's this thing I can't remember the term where like you put the accent on like a different part of the word. I guess he's, <laughs> he's like I do that a lot in my lyrics. Yeah, I don't know. What did he say? He puts the emphasis <laughs> yes on the wrong <laughs> syllable or something yes, like that. Exactly. To say. That's a way better way. To... Yeah, yeah. Have you it's have just... you found that like after? I mean, because you guys have been in band 
what, 80, what was it? 83. So in that time, like, like, how did you guys write songs in like 1985 compared to now? Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Like, I mean, in a way it's kind of the same. It was just like an idea, an idea for something. And then, um, I guess it would. Then it started more with just guitar. No, I guess it's still the same. It started more like kind of with guitar that sounded cool, the guitar part. That was kind of what we all liked and listened to when we were hanging out and listening to punk rock music. It was like something started with like four chords. It's like, man, listen how cool that sounds. And then fit a melody over that. But um, I know that as Mike uh wrote more and more on his own he said you you like have to have a melody in mind that Mm. was his thing because i would send him those things i'd be like listen this cool guitar like four chords and he's like where's the melody and i'm like "Mm, i don't have one (laughs) (laughs) it's like when you get a melody send it back to me like oh fuck okay that's kind of cool though to hear because that in my head that's one of the reasons that no effects was able to like separate itself for so long and maybe have more I had a really awesome conversation once with Brian Baker behind a backstage. We saw each other and he just was in a cool chatty mood and, and the guy was cruising and I meet a guy like that. I'm not saying shit. Like I want to hear as much as this human has to say, because it's somebody I idolize so much. Yeah. And he said one thing in that conversation that always stuck was just like, yo, whatever you do, However you play out music and this stuff, great songs last. He's like, you write a song with a great hook or a great melody or something like that, it's not going to go away. People will find it forever because like, you're putting something out there that, that has this lasting kind of power. And I feel like No Effects, you've seen about a thousand bands come and go in the time you've been mm-hmm. around. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's one of the cool things about the band the whole time is there's always like... I can sing along to like no effect songs in a super melodic anthemy kind of way, like from old songs to new songs. Maybe, yeah. I don't know, I guess that's my own diet interpretation of maybe one of the reasons you guys have been successful for yeah. so long. Yeah, it started really early on, sort of. I mean, by the time Mike started writing these catchier, more like a melody you could follow songs, we were, you know, we'd been together for seven or eight years, you right. know, which it seemed like a long time. Um, but that was really was a long time ago now when he wrote like S&M Airlines was like the first one. We recorded that in Germany in like eight, 1988 or 89 before the album. Um, and he uh, he just really got this feel for um, a melody it was like he just wanted to do it i guess the big part of it was bad religion mm. was when bad religion um suffer came out that that was like the resurgence of of really uh, applying like punk rock uh, like a melody over punk rock music and i remember mike just like uh, and we just listened to it in the van on tour like all over and over and over We're like fuck that's so good so at the wow, time that record game, like, ch- game changer yeah, yeah. yeah. Blew you guys away, and mike huh? just like uh, obsessed and he was in college up in san francisco and started just writing these songs huh. 
melodies and he still couldn't sing them <laughs> but, you know, that came with time you know <laughs> i was just having a conversation with of all people like just a random uber driver in nashville tennessee who studied the what was it it was like bit music the psychology of businesses. psychology of businesses and she wanted to thanks she wanted to um she was there this is sarah by the way yes sarah, hi, sarah's sarah. here Hi. <laughs> uh, she wanted to talk about why bands stay together, um, and now I forgot my point. <laughs> oh yeah, because when we started, we started. It was the way that we, when we started, we like liked the same music. We liked each other, even as Mike's songwriting progressed, and he couldn't really sing them that well. He got to be a better singer. It's like mm-hmm. we, he learned how to become a better singer he learned how to work with his voice and that's another part of our longevity is that we we like each other as Mm -hmm. people we liked each other as people from day one we had problems of course over the years but you i don't know if you can like learn to like people better over years maybe you learn to tolerate them better over years but you can learn to be a better guitar player over years or a better drummer or better singer so um we sort of stumbled onto the thing that was going to make us last or help us last as long that as that initial had. chemistry just that you guys liked being in a room together and we like being in a room together we like each other's personalities they work together and uh we love the same kind of music and we kind of still do and that was at our i don't know i guess a formative time for our music loving yeah <laughs> but what i thought was funny about the vocals when smelly was talking about like playing with you guys for a third time he's like mike and eric were so bad <laughs> like when you guys like when he fir- when you guys first kind of got him in the band <laughs> <laughs> but it was punk rock you totally know? it was like, totally. yeah. it was well, like uh, you learn as you go right um you know mike did say it once i don't know where he got it from or if he made it up probably it was um punk rock is good songs played by bad musicians and that's who <laughs> but we the ironic thing is like I think everyone in the band is like a great musician. Like I feel like I see you guys. I've seen you guys play the decline a bunch of times. Like that to me is yeah. It's like you guys sounds like serious. And I feel like also it is specifically true. for you. I feel like it was like a joke with the band. Like oh Eric, like yeah. can't play. And then I see you guys. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Yeah, and then before you know it, like that's one cool thing I think too is like yeah, you guys will sit here and say we're not great musicians, and then all of a sudden you see someone whip out an accordion solo and then you see like a horn solo (laughs) you see this cool shit and you're like oh like but what's cool is you know from i'm at the age where i knew who you guys were from when i was 12 years old up until i met you when i was like in my late 20s because my band wound up in the same place as you and I smoke weed and so does your whole crew. And that <laughs> yeah. kind of was something that tied a bonding, together. A bonding um, but yeah. one th- cool thing I noticed about you guys was that from the outside, you would kind of assume maybe that because of the way Mike talks, kind of shitty talks, and then the kind <laughs> yeah. of way you guys, all of you, like approach what you do, you might get this idea that it's a divisive bunch of people. That it's people who would like behind closed doors, like, get into it with each other or would like talk a lot of shit well which you do talk a lot of shit but it's <laughs> yeah. all taken in you know a certain way yeah. and then you actually open the door behind no effects and beyond the band guys you guys have had the same crew and the same guys with your band for for ages 20 yeah, years right yeah, like yeah. a guy like limo or someone yeah, like yeah. that and 
I always think of it, it was a cool thing to see getting into that world because the same way, um, say, if you go to a restaurant, the same restaurant for five years and they have <coughs> the same wait staff, it's an indication that the people running the restaurant are doing good by their people, right? Yeah, like they don't turn right. over waiters every six months. Like mm. they actually have a group of people who stick around. You, and yeah. you kind of see the same thing in music. Like when you see a bunch of shitty dudes who aren't great to be around, even if they pay top dollar to work for the band, they usually don't have these like solid crews that yeah. stick behind bands. They're usually one of those yeah. bands that kind of outsources guys who know how to work for every tour. This guy's great at guitars. This guy's this. Put them together. They go on their bus. And it's like work. Mm. You guys are like, it's family. It's family. like tight knit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super cool family. And that was always an indication to me that like behind the scenes, and I don't know it personally, but behind the scenes, somebody's taking care of your people. Someone's doing right by your people. Yeah. You've never fucked your people over. And that's like a really cool indication i think of your band yeah yeah we're a family we've been a family for a long time funny that you say that though because limo actually just quit no limo just left the limousine yeah, limo i know oh. big limo well he he met a new girl oh i met her a bit right. yeah she's awesome Can't she got him in she uh a cat oh yeah she's so rad she, she turned the keys on the she doesn't have a name she just is right yeah and uh it was also for people listening. Limo limousine yeah. is, and he introduces himself as such. Yeah, is a giant, awesome crew guy that's been working for No Effects for how long? Like, jeez, 10, at least ten years. Or yeah, seems like forever. I mean, he's always been there. Started as our monitor man. Uh, we decided at some point that we needed to add keyboards into the sound for some of the reggae stuff and some other things. And so he just, we taught him the notes kind of thing and he would practice at home. And so he would play the keyboards on five or six songs or something and, and do his funny dance that he does. <laughs> it was just him, you know? And yeah, he's just, a. we grew up together kind of over the last 10, 15 years. And, you know, I got to meet his, his kids who are, now so much older were babies then yeah. and stuff and he got to see me go through having my babies and but yeah he had to go i mean he met this new girl and they're amazing together and it was it was always kind of a struggle for him because we don't tour that much right. every year you know we just don't and nobody really wants to tour more nobody right. in the band wants to and so it wasn't going to really you know, he was just struggling for a few years, and uh, he decided it was time to just make that move. Sure. Yeah, it's, um, it seems like he hasn't been through a lot more lately, I feel like, because you're here for Backstage Passport, then you're here for the book thing. Like, I feel like it, it used to be just like every four years at Irving or something. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. It's funny. Even after saying that, we don't tour that much. It's like yeah, we're yeah. busier than ever somehow yeah. at the same time. Um, so, God, I don't know what's going on, <laughs> um, with this book and everything. And yeah, there was even, uh, we, let's see. Yeah. With the book, we actually hired a kind of like a, an assistant manager to Kent, a kind of a partner to Kent to help manage all this stuff around the book and all the promotion that needs to be done and publicity and stuff. Um, cause it's just like, I mean, Kent's already got his hands in, right. He's got so many jobs, wears so many hats, and uh, I think and he it was wears hard a headset and golfs on the weekend. And, and yeah, and he needs to have time for golf too, you know. 
So uh, anyway, there's been, yeah, it's funny as you say that, that with this family, and yet there's been sort of a shakeup of uh, jobs in the band. I mean, when it comes to the book, I mean, how involved were you kind of in it? Because I felt like when I when we did that Q&A thing for Backstage Passport, I felt mm-hmm. like some of the people in your band were like, I haven't even seen this yet. But it seems like something like this has so much more like individual, like just to even go through all that stuff must be so involved and take so much time. Yeah. Well, it started, God, it started years ago, you know, four or five years ago. I think we were working on the second Backstage Passports because Jeff was on tour with us, Jeff Alulis. And he said, he was like, let's just start. Let's just start this. Okay, how do we start? He's like, well, I'll interview you and we'll record it. And then I'll just transcribe everything. Like, okay, it sounds great. So we did like an hour here, an hour there, an hour with me, an hour with Smelly, an hour with... And then uh, over time, then like... He transcribed that and he thought of more things he wanted to ask and I thought of more things I wanted to talk about and did more just like word, spoken word, just recording it, transcribing it. And then I got hundreds and hundreds of pages of things I had said, you know, mm. written and I said, okay, so... I went and went through it. like So he transcribed and sent it all back to you. Yeah, yeah. Huh, and then I went through it page by page and story by story. And like, oh, I remember some more detail. And like, oh, yeah, that's right. But it was this person, you know, like kind of fixing right, things. Sure. And um, then um, it was really long when it was done. And there was like a first draft that Jeff sent us that was broken down into, he chronologically ordered it. <laughs> he chronologized it. Um, and uh, uh, th- that was cool then to read. Like, cause then I read like Hefe's part and I read Smelly's part and read where I, you know, where I told the same story from my point of view. And, uh, um, it was, uh, it was cool, and there was, you know, there was something I read there for my first time, which was in the book um, that a girlfriend that I'd had in Santa Barbara that I lived with, and that I had always, this is, you know, 25 years later, that she had been raped while we were together, and I didn't know, mm-hmm. and I had no idea up until the moment that I read that. Um, well, I mean, Mike actually called me earlier and he was like, do you know, there's like, there's talk, you know, the story about Santa Barbara and your ex. And I was like, Oh really? And I kind of like knew I'm like my yeah. suspicions. And he's like, yeah, I'm like shit. And I had been emailing her just to make sure like she was cool with me telling stories and like, did she want me to change her name and stuff? And she's like, yeah, that'd be good. And she was like, call me when you get a chance. And so it was kind of like these messages were coming, like you're going to find out something that you probably don't want to hear. Right. So that was hard to hear, you know, that was like, uh, and strange because it was so, I mean, I haven't even seen her in 15 or 20 years or whatever. Did you find that process of like speaking to her and it all coming to the table? Like, cathartic for you or her or i don't know i mean something like that is like you know i i don't know what i would have done at the time and definitely can't do anything about it now and maybe telling the story is helpful i don't know actually i mean this kind of story you know so that was um that was pretty heavy and then i wrote about my uh my um 
child being molested as a child story. That was that one instance. That was. I still haven't really talked about it much. So, it's, um, so did the other guys know about that or no? You know, I think that they. I don't know, actually. Yeah, it's. It's like as, um, as I wrote about it, there were things that I realized that I, I didn't, I don't remember things I'd buried, things I'd told. I didn't tell my mom till I was, I don't know, thirty or something. You know, um, I started going to therapy. Well, they sent me to therapy when I was like twelve, and I didn't tell that therapist. I couldn't. You know, I, I don't know why I couldn't. Well, I mean, I kind of explore that a little bit, but um, I don't even know if I started talking about it in my in therapy in my mid-20s. But I knew there was something, I mean, I knew there was something that, that, that was, this was having an effect on me that I needed to figure out. And so I started going to therapy then. And more recently, I've been, had more success in the last few years. I guess because I started writing about it. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this is going to be in a book. I better do some real thinking about this, you know, instead of just bearing it like I'd done for all these years. Um, and it was pretty helpful. I mean, it was really helpful, the therapy that I'd um, been doing recently. But it's it's so hard. It's like I don't even, you know... Um, there's so much that I just had kept secret and so much I talked about in therapy that I'm, I don't even know what, you know, the guys in my band know about what's yeah, happened. Yeah. Well, that's another thing about the book is like, there is so much kind of like darker stuff in it. Like I feel like it starts out kind of like lighthearted with, you know, pee drinking, drinking pee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, how most classic books start out. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah, I mean all this stuff about like, yeah, like that's how tale of two cities. Kicked, I believe right? so. it was urine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought so. Um, But yeah, like all the stuff about all those early LA shows you guys being at and how like dangerous they were and all that stuff and then your stuff and then obviously all the stuff Mike went through with his parents. I mean like... Smelly story. Smelly story, obviously, yeah. yeah. I mean, was it hard in a way to sort of like... Because I feel like going so in depth, you almost are like reliving that in a way. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for real. Um, And some of Smelly stuff... I mean, we lived it too as a band. You know, we were right. there coming home from a tour. We'd been away for months. And the first thing his dad says is like, he go, he like goes, hey, Mike, hey, Melvin, what are you doing here, dickhead? You know, to his own son. And we're kind of like, it seemed ridiculous. It was almost comical, but it, this was real, like living for Eric, yeah. for Eric Sandin. And we saw it and we lived it. And, you know, and, um, when we started the book, uh, we didn't want it to just be like tour stories and, you know, throwing a keg through a window and stuff like that and how many times the van broke down, you know. And that we, stuff had been kind of well covered in the in the video stuff, right? Like yeah, the yeah, that's true. Ten that. years of fucking up. Yeah, yeah. I know, totally. Um, so, uh, and like Smelly and I were... I've always been kind of more like that. We we've always had these 
deep conversations about emotional aspects because you're things. the jews man where the <laughs> smelly's not a jew oh he's not no uh, he just oh mike right i was behaves, thinking two hebes which hebes he behaves yeah. financially like a jew <laughs> right but um he, he's the uh, white trash yeah but he's a white okay. trash yeah my fault he's hold held on to more of his gold than any of the Jews in the band. I can't uh, wait to tell Mike next time I see him that I forgot he was Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, be. Well, I'm sure not getting divorced helps helps hang on to money. What's that? Oh, I'm sure that's. Oh yeah. That's oh, who's Smelly? No, just in general. Uh, yeah, I guess I don't know. I mean, yeah, no, it fucking cost me. Yeah, everything I had. I mean, I'm so freaking broke right now. But um. Uh, yeah, the stories, I mean, we, we, yeah, us, like Smelly and I, especially, we, we love to talk about, especially after he got sober, we would talk about always the emotional aspects of things. And, um, we, we could talk, like have these great heart to heart talks and Mike and I too like that. But, you know, over the last five, six years, Mike has gone more into like his, really living out his like drug and alcohol and overindulgence of everything that he can and just you know living his life the way he wants to so you know those those conversations are harder to have with somebody right. who's who's hung over or on drugs or you know waiting for the drugs to kick in from being hung over it's like a, i mean an never-ending cycle is that ever like concerning to you like are you kind of like do you worry about him all the time yeah all the time and i tell him tell him all the time and uh yeah it's it's hard for me and i've told him this but you know he he used to just i mean we we talk daily when we're home or at least weekly about just things what's going on and what's new plans and kids and what's going on with the family and divorce for me recently because he'd been through it right years ago and just like his advice used to be more kind of like he was the emotional like what matters to your heart what you know quality of life kinds of things and for the past few years it's been more like really reactive and like really how to fight you know and i'm like not really i don't that's helpful in a way, but I'm not like so much a fighter, but man, when you're in a divorce, there's so much to fight about. And if you mm-hmm. don't fight for things, you're not going to get them. You right. know, I mean, just time with the kids and stuff, you know? Um, and so his advice became less and less like, I guess, useful, you know? And you I think- just, I told him time and time again, even hearing his own problems um, with, um, his family and whatnot that I don't want to talk too much about, but he would just be, he was so like reactive and so quick to anger, so quick to hurt and stuff. And that's the drugs, you know? And I, I tried many times to point it out to him, you know, Hey buddy, you know, I, I hear you're really upset and this is a really big deal, but I think you're kind of like, you're getting really angry really fast right now, you know, just like maybe take some breaths, calm down, you know, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Everyone's here to support you remind him of those things yeah you know? that's it's, good it's not him against the world yeah <laughs> i think um it's well first off like just congratulations kind of on being able to tell your story and like 
and thanks. You know what I mean? Seriously. Thank you. Thanks for like, I can't imagine after so many years finally getting to that point where you're even willing to share it and then share it not only with your friends, but people. And I think you've already said how helpful it's beginning to be for you. I know you're just at scratching the surface of of what you got to get into, but Mm. I can't imagine. I knew people, I knew kids when I was growing up who've had some pretty fucked up things with their family and people who've had to bury it through the years. And I think you really could be helping someone. I know it's hard to see, but... You know who who gets into no effects is the kids who need no effects. You know what I mean? And, yeah, it's a good and point. hearing a story a like point. that via you guys could be something that's really important. You know? Yeah, that was you know a part of part of the thoughts that went through my head was, man, you know, so many kids had it so much worse. You know, it's almost like me talking about it all is just like you know I don't know just like oh that's nothing compared to what some kids and i know some people who've had it so much worse personally and i also know it happens it happens so much worse but that was a big thing for me is um is just keeping it inside and not talking about it and not um feeling like it was my fault and feeling like somehow something in me that was like some label that said like I needed to be preyed upon or prey on me, you know, like feeling like that just led, that kept with me for years and years. And as an adult, you felt like a tangible, like physical effect to like keeping it inside. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, God, did I, how did I deserve that? Or how, what in me that like led me, like, I can't trust myself. I will lead myself into some kind of situation where I'm going to, you know, where something horrible is going to happen and I'm not going to, well, I did get out of it. You know, I mean, I did get myself out of it. Um, and, uh, so a lot of trust in myself and, you know, again, through therapy and through talking about it and, and actually saying, I mean, I, I found myself sitting in front of my therapist, this amazing woman, um, and saying words that were like physically painful to say. I was like, oh my God, I can't say these words. And I was saying them, still found a way to like stumble through them and say them. And she helped me sort it out, you know, sort out some of those things. I mean, I was, I was preyed on by, by a, um, a man who, you know, preys on children. And, um, and I, I don't, I still don't understand the, the psychology behind behind it and what really causes it and i know that there's organizations out there that can help people like protect.org and um what was that one we saw on the tv would you mind sorry oh man i know well i'll try to find it anyway um that can really help people more because it's like this it's control and it's people that taking advantage of the innocence of children and mm-hmm. it's it's awful it's terrible and it leaves a mark on these children and some in a developmental stage that mm-hmm. will fundamentally change them you know I, I mean it fundamentally changed me too but through therapy i was able to start piecing it apart sure you know and finding just finding a few more like smaller trigger points for me that led me to have to you know 
relive the traumas. Um, and you had all yeah. these years, I guess, you know, music and touring and all these things. Can they not only be used as like an outlet, but a bit of an escape, you it's know? A good. It's a great point. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually hoping to meet uh, an old friend today who was... Uh, shortly after, or within a few years of my trauma, um, I started to go to an after-school, uh, like day camp thing at the Jewish Community Center. Um, at the Jewish Community Center in LA, and met a man there who was the camp counselor. Then at that next summer, and I started to, go to and he was kind of like became like I kind of idolized this guy, and he became like a mentor to me. And, uh, um, we bonded over music and he actually took me to see Adam and the ants in like 1980 or something at the Greek. And I was, you know, I was really little then I was, this was like my precursor to punk rock because Adam and the ants, there was hardly anything like that at that time. Um, and I'm hoping to meet him for lunch. He works at the JCC in New York. Oh, really? That's crazy. Now he's one of the directors. Yeah. And we... haven't seen each other in 30 years Wow! and I tried to see him when I was here in New York last time but he was out of town for work but I was going to say the point is that I was lucky that shortly after this horrible thing happened I found good support I mean my parents were were always amazing to me Um, uh, and then I had this great counselor other counselors at camp I went to camp you know a lot of kids can't get that support and then seeking out music i mean punk rock music was like a huge um support for me and all this like angry music Mm -hmm. and like totally different and i just felt like something that belonged to me and and then yeah being able to express myself with music and playing live was was huge as well and just get out like the just whatever angers and hurts just like feel like i could just like let it all out Mm -hmm. and just like play a loud guitar chord you know fortunately for my ears to this day (laughs) but yeah so i again i I got kind of lucky and met met some great guys started a great band and had a lot of support and was able to i mean I, i said it in the book i was really quiet through high school and stuff. And then once we started touring, I started meeting people and just learning to like chit chat more and learning to just like talk about bands and have more conversation. And just, um, you know, I was able to just, I don't know, just become more, um, I guess, vocal, I guess. So, okay. Sarah just showed me that there is this, um, a website also called joyful heart foundation. Oh, one I'll put together as one word.org. That's another one. And um, we just learned this from watching Law and Order on TV <laughs> on Sunday that this is Child Abuse Awareness Month. Oh, it is. Oh, nice. So that was like, yeah, that was cool. So I contacted those people and I said, I, you know, if, if you need it, if you have any use for like a punk rock guitar player Great. in your foundation yeah. to just say, hey, it happened to me too, you know, please let me know if I can help. And, uh, um, they haven't answered yet, but that was only <laughs> yeah, in the yeah. last few days. So, well, I think know. inside of the punk context, it's maybe even more important because, I mean, often, often there's a reason kids get into punk. You know, often there's a, I know at least for me at the same time, there was like that fringe aspect of my own life and the fringe aspect of punk that were kind of 
I, perfectly I, married. I agree, but I also remember like maybe it's a little different now. Like ten, fifteen years ago, I had a friend who's in a bunch of bands who was gay, and he, I was like, and I knew, and like not that many people. I was like, why don't you just tell everyone? He's like, I was like, this is like the Warp Tour, and he's like, yeah, it's still not. Yeah, you know what I, I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I I see that. I agree. Yeah. I, there was there's um yeah. It seemed like the punk rock scene wasn't as open or accepting or or openly accepting of yeah. of uh gay of being gay which is a shame because there was a time i know when it's it seemed like when our influential time seeing like the germs and it was all like you know um there were cr- there was cross dressers and um i don't know what you call it, like polysexuality or i don't know what there's a term for that where people are just sleeping with anybody, you know, and we knew about like Iggy Pop and David Bowie, and it was right. like this, like New York Doll, you know, it was like an artist, like fringe kind of cool thing to do that people were doing, and I don't know how that got to be like, you know, we agree with all this, but not sure about right, that. Right. Do you think like the mid nineties thing had something to do with it? Kind of the just the entrance of once really punk bands into a super mainstream world that kind of brought a little more of a mainstream value into punk. And he's trying to say jacks. Huh? You mean like jacks? No, I'm talking about <laughs> Green Day and the Offspring. Yeah. That's what I'm talking yeah, about. Like yeah, I'm talking about talking those two bands but being I feel, punk and I think then just used. before that maybe there was this whole like Southern California there was like kind of uh, I mean I'm the, this is my these are my Bands. And you're like, born and bred Southern California. Yeah, right? these are like Pennywise and um, you know, uh no effects and like this whole surfer skater, which was almost a pseudo kind of jock mentality mm. that came into the scene. And I, I don't know, I think they were they were almost like less of the freaks, even though maybe they thought they were the freaks or the fringe, you know. I mean, I I say freaks like as a positive sure. label yeah. you know yeah, yeah. i mean i'm you're amongst troops. proudly you're in a safe place yeah i'm <laughs> yeah anyway um yeah so uh um i think there was maybe an influx of that at a time but yeah yeah it's true and and there was yeah that yeah. insurgence of like machismo happened somewhere right. in there didn't yeah, it yeah so yeah wow, that was a almost counter to that but there was always like the band the queers and uh uh, yeah. Some other bands that I don't know that were, like yeah, that were you know they were openly gay and that was cool, you know and that was, I mean not even that it was cool or uncool, it was just like fit, you know, right. it just fit in with the whole thing. It made sense, but I guess not to some people. Hmm. But it's you know I'm I'm known like Mike has been ever since i don't even know when when we were in japan and we started finding snm clubs and mike started to go like i found an snm club and i I started to see more and more that he was really into this kind of thing and he started exploring where he liked to go with those and i'd always go to these places with him and some others maybe the crew and other friends and um watching him explore what felt good to him and he started you know he'd wear uh he'd dress up he'd wear women's clothes or just women's underwear or whatever happened to be there at the time and he i i've been happy to see him 
starting more and more to wear that um, when he was comfortable out, out around San Francisco. And then he started wearing dresses on stage. Mm -hmm. And I told him right from day one how proud I am of him that he can um, feel comfortable doing that and not that he has to hide it and he's not afraid that the fans might, I don't know, turn on him or... And everyone in the band is equally as down as you are? Uh, there's... <laughs> Let's just go over to the next diplo- question. That's a very diplomatic <laughs> expression. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe it's something about the color, you know. Yeah, yeah, Sometimes just, it's a black they dress. They just don't think yeah, it's yeah. style. Yeah, right. I don't know. Yeah. feel that. I, I feel that. I, uh, I also feel like, sort of related, but not really, I feel like you guys can get away with doing stuff that no other band... And the, like, I remember your show... In Austin at Red Seven, when you played as Half Effects, oh, oh yeah, right. and you just played the first half of every song. I was like at you, that. South you were, yeah. We, uh, we Vanessa had, snuck me in the side. We door. played the Hot Water Music reunion at that. Oh, outside at that South by Southwest. Yeah, yeah, I was at that show, and I went to the No Effects <laughs> show. You know, half walking effects, around yeah. South by, just fucking hammered, drunk, yeah, yeah. like looking for cool uh, stuff yeah, to see. So I remember, and I remember walking in, I'm like. I just play like the beginning thirty I, seconds of your I walked, song. I got That's snuck in, hilarious. and I was like, "I'm seeing no effects in a club. This is amazing. This has been my dream for so long." And like, you guys like open with linoleum or something. And halfway through, you're like, "Eh." And then every <laughs> song in the set. But I was like, I. It was like frustrating, but also so funny. But I was literally like, I don't think another band in the world would think <laughs> no. of this and then actually do and it. Actually and their fans it. are kind of like, yeah, and I guess. Well, and uh, yeah, you guys have been so consistently like that for so long. <laughs> yeah. that I feel like your fans were like. Oh, all right. Totally. You guys could get away with it. No one else, I feel like, could. We've played at South by Southwest so many times for so many years. Maybe that's why that happened there. to mix it up. But it's true. I think maybe other bands might have a little more sense (laughs) to to do that. But yeah, we did that. Let's see. We also played a show once in um, somewhere, maybe New Jersey or something, where we didn't know till we got there that it was early and it was like a, an all-ages show, which meant something like... It was like the laws were strange, so we we could only... You could only get in if you were under 18 or something weird or like... So it was all these kids or under 21 anyway. So nobody was drinking and Mike was at that moment was really into like where we're playing for the... We should be playing for the adults and like it's a no effects show. Everyone should be wasted and stuff. So he was just like, we're going to do a slow effects set. And we played every slow song <laughs> that we had that we could play. And the whole set was like that. There wasn't one fast song. Your ballads. I felt, yeah, I felt, you know, some of the reggae ones yeah, and stuff yeah. too. But I kind of felt bad for those kids. <laughs> But, you know, he was like, you know, that was when he was full on into the the fuck the kids thing. Yeah, I remember that because I remember when I did that story for AP and you guys, like, I remember sort of not like getting mad, but I remember being like, is it weird? Like all your fans are kind of teenagers. And he was like, actually, we just sold out like all these 21 plus shows. We have a lot. And I was like, and then he would say stuff like, if you're 13, there's nothing interesting you can say to me. Like don't talk to me like it was i was like okay yeah i remember when he went through that phase there was a there was a moment where like almost every person he talked to he'd go how old are you and he's like he'd go like if you're if you're under 25 okay i won't talk to you 
was like, dude, come on, dude. I'm a fan too. He's like, but he's got nothing interesting to say. He's like, if you're under this certain age, there's nothing possibly interesting you can say to me. That you can say to me. I mean, but the kid wants to hear you, you know? Right, right. Just say hi or something, you know? I mean, is that. I mean, it does seem like there's kids always discovering no effects, but it does seem like to me, at least at this point, it's a, a kind of a, a big mix. I mean, yeah. did you feel like at a certain, I mean, was it weird at a point where you're like, we're getting older, but like, it seems to be these kids at our shows or? It's, I mean, geez, it, it seems like, no, uh, there have been some young fans keep coming in. I keep right. seeing them, but I also keep seeing like old dudes, you yeah. know, not old dudes but some for sure old dudes gray full gray i mean i am too except that i dye my hair but <laughs> it's not naturally gray. blue yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so the um the old dudes and now even more than ever there's like guys showing up and they're like this is my son he's right. 15 now oh, that's cool. and you know and mike will be a dick and be like you know you can't read this book you know or whatever don't <laughs> listen you know I don't want to talk to you or whatever. <laughs> like, dude, you were 15 when you yeah. first listened yeah, to punk yeah, yeah. rock, you know? I just saw a video this morning of Mike just killing a 13-year-old orange-haired kid at some festival in Europe. Oh, just you. Just, yeah. I mean, good five minutes, this little kid. Get out of here. You shouldn't even be here. Uh, uh, some funny shit, yeah. honestly. I know. I'm still not sure exactly what... I mean, I guess when we were... The punk scene in L.A. in those early days was fucking dangerous yeah, and scary. And everyone was like, seemed like mean. And it was like, yeah, you know, I saw fear play and, and it was like leaving was going to like beat up his own fans, you know? What kind of venues were like, like, so this was L.A. in the very early 80s. Yeah, yeah. And what, uh-huh. what was like, what, like, what was the scene? What were the venues? Like how, how, did, Man, there how was, were people getting shows they together? Were all kinds of all different varieties i mean i saw minor threat in like eight gosh was it 82 maybe i don't have a good head for dates but um at this huge auditorium out in the valley it was like i think it was called the velodrome maybe it was one of those i, I get them all mixed up but it was a giant place and it was thousands of people because it was la and minor threat and it was huge they were that and, big already at that point yeah yeah wow. i think it might have been their first time out in la and it was giant the pit was like huge and like um the sound was awful you know <laughs> but it was uh it was this great big huge show and i saw dead kennedys down in um down in like the huntington beach kind of area or uh that's in the book actually um real industrial area just a huge empty warehouse and you know because there was no hardly any security and no real permitting and like the cops just came in and like broke it up near the end and they were just in the back starting to like beat kids up just to get everybody out and there was no like even the police policing themselves they just had billy clubs out and were just like bashing people i mean there was like a line of cops as you went out the back door just like hitting kids as you walked out you know luckily i was this tall you know i was like 14 and i looked like i was 12 and you know so the bigger kids were getting hit um so it was nasty and then there were clubs like that were in south central again in the book where 
the vandals were playing and it was like i don't even know if it was an actual venue music venue at all it was just some place in a totally shitty scary neighborhood yeah near south central um and we went down there and went to see the vandals play you know do you know who the people I'm sorry. Do you know who the people in those days who were like cultivating that scene were? Well, like, some of it was like the BYO people, the okay. Youth Brigade, you know, Sean Stern and his brothers, and they were putting on shows. Golden Voice was putting on shows in those early days too, and they still are, you know, um, doing concerts to this day. Um, but there was all kinds of people doing. Yeah, I don't know who did that Dead Kennedys show. Um, I saw Fear play at a club. It was like, it must have been like a little dance club called Dancing Waters. <laughs> and behind the stage was this like fake rock formation that had water like flowing down it. It was like, you know, an 80s or 70s like, you know, disco place. And I remember after they got off stage, after they finished leaving, went to the water and he started like rinsing himself off in the water <laughs> and like the owner somebody goes hey you can't do that you can't do that and he's just like ignoring the guy you know like, fuck don't tell leaving what he can't do did you ever punch see you. uh gg allen who gg allen no 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 because i feel like I, I saw a live video and mike was like in the audience like it panned the audience and i was like i think <gasps> that's mike yeah and smelly that was i think he played san francisco um at least a few times and smelly was living there at the time and i know that he worked at the covered wagon that Gigi played mm. and smelly like had to fucking he had to set up the mics and he had to clean up afterwards oh man and mike said i think that was a show that mike was at and he said like i think the first thing he did when he came out on stage was he squatted shat diary on the floor Maybe he scooped it up into his mouth and then spat it on the crowd or something. And he said, like, somebody in front of him got nailed, but he was protected by the guy in front of him. And I was like, oh, my oh God. man. Goodness. Yeah, I don't know. That kind of punk rock thing is just, yeah. It's something. I'm it's just, something. like, not that hardcore, man. I wonder, like, you know, growing up around here, you, like, when I was a kid before I could drive or something we were just on the trains around here like to get to any show you're on the trains um how do kids in la when their kids get around to these places like how do they get to south yeah, central and then how do they get yeah. home at night buses. from like a place like buses. that buses yeah there was the buses the buses kind of suck in la but that's what you would do or it was also la was hugely dependent on cars yeah people's cars borrowing your mom's car and then piling in as many friends as you can. I had a friend who was a year older than me who uh, took me to my first punk gig, which was the Bad Brains at the Ukrainian Culture Center. I tell that story in there. And his name was That's Ed. That's pretty cool is for Ed, show. Ed Brown was just this amazing dude. He was just punk as fuck. And he had this punk as fuck girlfriend. They both had rad spiked hair. And, we're just, and he just, I don't know why he was cool to me. But he was just like, hey, if you want to ride to the gig, you know, I'll give you a ride. I'm like, killer, thanks, you know. He goes, all right, pick you up at 8, whatever. So he picks me up. Um, we go to the gig. And, like, I tell the story in the book. And then on the way home, he just, like, he didn't stop at one red light or stop sign the whole way right. home <laughs> in his Dodge 
charger or something that was like spray painted black it was so fucking punk and it was so scary and uh i sat in the back seat you know while these two like spiky heads were in the front i was just like oh this is cool and uh scary and the shit you could get away with then you know was very seemed very different than what you can get away with now yeah Do, do you think there's an element of like of that danger i mean obviously like the some of the stuff you guys saw was like so fucked up yeah not good but uh, yeah. also i feel like that was so inherent i feel like now it's like you go to a show and it's like people are debating whether like stage driving's okay is it not okay like everything's kind of made to be super safe do you feel like sometimes it kind of punk rock like it needs a little bit of that like uncomfortableness just to kind of yeah you know not necessarily someone getting hurt but just like the chance that something could happen like do you think that's kind of inherent in it a yeah. little yeah maybe it's that um like I like barricades it gives people, I see people every show just getting crushed in the front and they can kind of like escape over the barricade right. and get out. But it's true. There's something maybe when it's so controlled that it's, it's like sanitized or something mm-hmm. and it's not, there's no chance for real life to happen, you know? And we, we did this last night at the show where I, I don't know how it started, but Mike just went, wow, that's so uncomfortable. He said it in the mic. That's so uncomfortable. And he goes, let's just have a moment of uncomfortable for a minute. And everyone sat there and we kind of all looked at each other. And like a thousand people were just kind of looking at each other. And then I went like, I can't stand it. I couldn't do it. You know, like after 30 seconds, I'm like, I got to say something. I don't know what, let's talk about something else. And Mike's like, nope, we're going to do it again. We're going to try and make this happen. One minute. And we did, you know, just like real life happened, let it happen. And I mean, shit, people get their like fucking, I don't know, noses broken and like injured necks and that's not cool, but let, let life happen if you can. Now I feel like just, I get hurt like standing up at a show, like my back starts to hurt after like an hour. Oh yeah. So shoes, man. Yeah, gotta be. (laughs) These have new supports in them though. Oh yeah, look at that. I know I need some of those too. Yeah, we'll hook you up after this. Yeah, Last time I found myself moshing at a show, the next day I had like four bruises I wasn't too stoked about and like a pretty sore rotator cuff. Neck was a little cranky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're older now like, than we well, were. What's crazy, then, I think last time know? I moshed was at an effect show and I didn't even mean to. I was like in the back of Irving Plaza and you guys started and all of a sudden I was like pushed into the middle of this thing oh, and I was trying to get out and people kept pushing me. I was like, no, I don't want to be in this. <laughs> <laughs> like I was as far away from this as possible. Yeah. Like this is exactly what I didn't want to happen. Yeah. Everyone's like, get the yeah. polite yeah. guy. You know get what? the polite totally, guy. Totally. That's a new thing in moshing now that I've noticed mm. that I don't like. What's is that? the pushers? Yeah, there didn't used to be pushers. Oh yeah, now there's guys in. who just line the outside of the circle, pushing, oh. jumping, and kind of pushing. Uh, no, there's, I can't yeah, remember it always like that. I there's remember always it pushers. Being like that. Yeah, yeah, they'd stand on the edge and just yeah. just kind of keep I like them around. Yeah, they never really jump in. Oh, yeah. they just kind of. Yeah, they're fringy I on the side. I think that maybe just stuck in a bad spot. Oh, I feel like I'm in that spot, and then I try okay. to get behind that person. Yeah, yeah. see, I'm a, I'm like now I'm the like. Since I'm a big guy with a mustache, I can create the illusion I'm a tough person, even though I'm not. And I like to sit on the side with the bow. So I sit on the side just like that. I'm like, come on. 
<laughs> I'm like, I'm waiting for you. Right, but that's like just too many years ago on the hardcore shows and getting like snuck by accident. Yeah. Right. You know? And I'm and like, now, and you. Yeah. like if I broke my jaw at a show at 19, I'd be like, hey, <laughs> fuck cool. it. You know? Yeah. And now I'm like, I broke my jaw at 35 and I'm thinking about like, shit, what's my copay? <laughs> Fucking, what's this? Like, yeah. oh, what about food? How am I, like, no, 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 I just, I can't deal with that right now. Too much. Yeah. I got too much other stuff, you know? So that's why I rock the bow now. I like it. I feel the like the bow. bow. How can I illustrate what I'm doing here? It's, you're for, kind of sticking your elbow out. Yeah, your huge elbows. muscles. Whoa. Yeah, showing the gun no, show no, there. No, no, you, I meant to, it's a warning. <laughs> warning sir. Uh, well, you know, if you're standing on the edge of the pit, if you don't have your hand out and you're not pushing, you're going to get pushed, yeah, you know? Yeah, you got to have your hand up. If you just yeah. stand there, you're just going to, you know, yeah. get smashed into. So you kind of like it's a way of also, you know, protecting yourself and, I don't know, kind of yeah. like, I always remember the the kind of pushers on the side as <laughs> almost like keeping the pit going. The keeper of the circle. The keeper of the circle, oh, yeah. yes. I feel like it's that. very distracting. I feel like if I'm in that situation, I can't focus on the show. I'm just trying not to get hit. Right. It's not yeah. really like not cool. It's yeah. kind of distracting. Yeah, it's not um, a lot of bands that bring it out of me these days. No, it happened at the Gorilla Biscuit show at the Vans yeah. warehouse. Oh, and I yeah, promised myself show. I wasn't gonna. I even wore clothes not conducive. <laughs> you know, all sorts of stuff. A hat. You didn't wear your tracksuit. Wouldn't wear a hat. <laughs> yeah, you know, I usually rock yes. my my Adidas tracksuit anywhere I go, <laughs> and and. I promised myself, I'm like, nah, I'm just going to hang out tonight, me or my girl, whatever, have a couple drinks. And then Gorilla Biscuit starts and the horn part from Start Today comes on. Dun, dun, dun. And just yeah. something like some mini little kid inside of me just started freaking out. I couldn't contain myself. I went ballistic for like a good 45 minutes. Yeah. But this but this was what I'm talking about when I came home like oh. I needed like 3 days <laughs> to like recuperate from it. Awesome. Do you still feel hey, like I gotta um, check this. <gasps> hey, I got to go really soon. Wow, that okay. was like What time is it? Uh almost 2:45. Oh my yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I know, I got a yeah, yeah. tight schedule these days. I man. know, I get it. I <laughs> Last question. Yes, of um, course. Sort of what Benny was talking about, like, sort of feeling like a kid. Like, do you still feel like, especially doing this book, like going through all these old stories, all these photos of yourself, I mean, do you still feel like that whatever 14-year-old kid that started this band, do you feel like the same person or does that feel like another lifetime? Or how do you relate to that, I guess? That's There's a part of me that's, yeah, still the kid when I get on stage and I can just, and everything sounds good and... I can just let go just like I did then, you know, just, I love it. It's, it's easy to let, you know, the, whatever the fears of like the copay, my insurance and stuff, <laughs> you know, like seep in there. But I try and give myself time before the show to just kind of like let that go. And I don't want to like look at emails and like, I'm dealing with like my ex-wife and like the kids and schedules and shit on a daily basis. And I just like, try to let it go i play guitar with headphones on and just you know because you can do it you can do it you can like help your mind go in a good direction you know and i've over years uh learned about meditation and found how that's really helpful for me again to just kind of like let things go you know um which is what you could do easily when you're 14 you know these days um i'm gonna be 50 in july you know it's 
can be harder to let things go, but you just have to remember how to do it, you know, just mm-hmm. do it. And uh, maybe I'm lucky too in, in a lot of ways, but um, I'm also, I'm working at it, you know, working at making sure that 14-year-old is still here inside me. Uh, that right. was great. Now I'm really sorry I wasn't here. Yeah, we're sorry too, Brad. You were missed, but you know, some people have to go to the beach in Brazil and keep the tourism going. You know, there. it's very, very. I, I um, I've seen Eric a few times since, but the last time I was actually spent any time at all, actually, it was when I met him too. It was a a trip to New Orleans. Oh, really? For another former guest's bachelor party, Who? Max Huber. Max Huber. Um, yeah. Was that Eric and and Fat Mike and a bunch of other guys went down for a weekend of sobriety? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure it sounds super mellow. <laughs> it was exhausting. I didn't know Max was married. He's not. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> but those friendships live on. <laughs> Max said what I would definitely, and I think he will admit, it was a post 9/11 wedding. Ah. Uh, a reassessment of life, boom, marriage, boom. Lasted two years or so. I don't know. Yeah, it happens. But the bachelor party was great and so was the wedding. Yeah. And yeah, that's that I think that's where I actually the first time I met Eric, like at least formally and we, we had a good time. Interesting. Yeah, it was fun. Sounds fun. I wish I was there. I still I was I don't know what is it. I was in college or something. It was good food. Good booze, good company, some other stuff we can't talk about. <laughs> Sounds about right. Uh, speaking of other stuff, uh, if you want to hear all the dirt on NoFX, uh, Hepatitis Bathtub, out now. Get it from Amazon, your local bookstore. If your bookstore doesn't have it, tell them to get it. They're a fucking bookstore. They should be bending over backwards to do whatever that you want them to do. <laughs> uh, what else? Keep an eye out for the Hepatitis Bathtub audiobook they're working on now. Um, sounds amazing. Can you bend over backwards and get me hepatitis bathtub? That sounds great. <laughs> hepatitis bathtub. <laughs> Oof. Uh, yeah. So check that out. Um, yeah. Thanks again to Eric for coming by. Thanks to Benny for guest hosting. Uh, thanks for Jonah for just being himself and doing doing it all. Man. Oh come on! It's it's. I get to interview my heroes for an hour and just geek out. So it's like that is all the payment I need. Really. And coffee. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you want to support this podcast in other ways of payment, uh, go to gongofftrack.com, give us a dollar, um, donate to our server costs. We have over 200 free podcasts available for you. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you know how this technology works, because I don't, but Brad says they have to all exist somewhere, <laughs> and that apparently costs money. I'm, I'm an artist, you know, so it's like, that's not really my area of expertise. <laughs> but uh, if you donate, I know that that would help. Uh and if you can't donate, um, you can just leave us a nice review or comment on iTunes. You can tweet at us. You can tag us and stuff. You can send us good vibes. Send us good vibes. You can email me. You can tell me who you want to have Go on the podcast. Go to shows. Yeah, United Nations. Uh, we are playing June 21st at Great Scott in Boston. June 22nd in Brooklyn at St. Vitus. And we're playing the fest in Gainesville in October around Halloween. And I can't say who we're playing with yet, but it is pretty fantastic lineup. And the shows here are with uh, Relayer, which is Trevor from Pelicans, new band who's also awesome, and he's been on the podcast. So 
Go to soundwag.com and check out my label releases. Oh, yeah. Brad's got some records coming out. Playdate, I think, hits this Friday, and then uh, Goop CP the next week. Yeah, so get on that. I'm I got some other stuff in the pipe. Yeah? Yeah. You can stream everything on Spotify. Wow. It's all there. It's everywhere. It's digitally everywhere. Ubiquitous. Ubiqu- <laughs> Ubiquitous. You don't have to buy You don't have to buy anything. You can stream it all. Stream it. Look at Brad, man of the people. <laughs> uh... So yeah, so thanks to everyone. I keep saying the same shit over and over again. So uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Uh, have a have a nice summer if it, if it's summer where you are. Is it <laughs> summer here? I can't tell. It feels like it today, but it's coming. It's coming. Summer is coming. Yeah.